the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ed Kless with my good friend and co-host, Ron Baker. And on today's show, Ron, we're going to talk to Doug Sleeter. I'm looking forward to this, especially we've been threatening this topic forever, so... So I know. I was, I, was think, I was thinking the exact same thing. I, we, we've been looking for an excuse to have Doug Sleater on, and we've been looking for an excuse to talk about Bitcoin. So this is sort of like the perfect storm of a show. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> it kind of all, all came together. I was talking with Doug earlier. He's excited to be on, and we're excited to have him on. So really, really thrilled to uh, do that. But let me uh, first quick introduce Doug to our audience. Doug is a passionate leader of innovation and change in small business accounting technology world. He was a CPA veteran and former Apple computer evangelist, which I want to ask him about. He has melded two great passions, accounting and technology, to guide developers in innovation of new products and to educate and lead accounting professionals who serve small businesses. He is also, Ron, and this is the thing we picked up on in the tweets about this show, a self-professed, blockchain-obsessed entrepreneur. I love it. Yeah, and I, I think I think the three of us definitely are in the category of blockchain obsessed. I think that yes. that's going to be that's going to be true of the three of us on this show. So we're really excited. Doug, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Well, thank you, Ed. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, we're again thrilled to have you. Uh, let Let's just get started. Let's introduce you a little bit more to our audience for those those who don't know you. I would venture to say that folks who are listening today do, in fact, know who you are, at least a lot of them, but some of them don't. So tell us your background a little bit. Well, yeah, uh, way back in the late 70s, I was in the accounting profession working uh, in a small CPA office, and I was the guy who automated everything. (laughs) If you remember the 70s and 80s, there wasn't even uh, really DOS yet, Uh, but yet we were uh, beginning to see... um, computer programs that would do payroll tax automation or whatever. And that was my job. I was the kid in the office and they said, hey, maybe he can get us uh, to automate some of this stuff that is highly labor intensive and uh, expensive to do. And uh, so that's what I started doing. I also got my degree in computer science at the time. And um, when I met the computer, it's sort of like 
cured me of um, becoming an accountant. <laughs> it was like, oh, wait a minute. This is way more fun. <laughs> so uh, I did that. I finished my degree in computer science and then went out to kind of the marketplace of what am I going to do after school? And the first job I got was a, uh, Adobe Systems. And Adobe at the time was brand new. I was one of the earliest uh, employees there. And what we were doing uh, at Adobe was, uh, although I didn't really re realize it at the time, I was, what, 25 years old or whatever, um, we were really changing the state of the art in all of publishing. Uh, it was PostScript, which was that next technology that really moved us from um, metal type uh, faces that would print newspapers to digital type that would allow us to, uh, you know, lay out complete, uh, well, anything from brochures and newsletters to newspapers uh, in a digital way using the Macintosh. Uh, so Adobe was the founding technology of that by, by PostScript and then the typefaces that used PostScript. Um, my role was to go and convince all the developers in the world to uh, embrace this new technology called PostScript to drive the new laser printers, which were just coming out at the time. Um, and that took us from the daisy wheel and dot matrix generation, if you remember those printers, uh, mm -hmm. to the laser printer and digital typesetter generation. Um, a dramatic shift in the way we all think of publishing today. Um, so that was my first sort of disruption job is uh, representing a company that was changing the world in, in publishing. Um, and then I, I left, uh, got recruited over to Apple uh, not very long after I uh, began work at Adobe. And my job at, at Apple was to um, again, work with developers to bring about um, desktop publishing. If you remember 1980, I, I joined Apple in 86. I was there for six years, five years. Um, so in 86, the Mac was struggling. It was introduced in 1984, but there was no software for it. And it could do, you know, it was the first real mouse uh, and, um, you know, direct uh digital machine that wasn't just a command line interface, um, but it didn't have any software. So my job was to go get the, the likes of PageMaker and Quark Express, if you remember some of those those programs, drawing um, word processor programs, uh, and bring them to market uh, by evangelizing, that's why the word evangelist, evangelizing developers to stake their business on the Macintosh. Um, and uh, that worked out quite well because I think in many ways uh, everyone at Apple would agree that the desktop publishing market segment saved Apple, saved the Macintosh. And even to this day, it's pretty much the machine that graphic artist types and, and publishing types use to do their work. So that was Apple. <laughs> then after that, I said, okay, wait a minute. Um, what am I going to really do? What do I really passionate about? I, I've got this entrepreneurial bug. Um, Michael Gruber calls it the entrepreneurial seizure that some of us have along our careers. And that was, I want to combine accounting and technology uh, together because I really, really remembered when I was in the accounting office how 
lame everything it was that we were doing and how much technology needed to be applied to the accounting problem. Uh, so I formed this leader group, and this leader group was all about teaching people how to use technology uh, to do their accounting and quickly focused on the accountants themselves because really I found that with accountants, they were too busy doing the work to look up and look around and see what technology solutions could help them do it better. Um, I saw another revolution then, similar to what uh, Adobe was doing with, with PostScript. I saw Quicken and QuickBooks. And I saw in those products a revolutionary idea of putting a checkbook on the screen, which was revolutionary at the time. I mean, it's hard to kind of um, remember that because it seems like easy stuff now. But a checkbook on the screen and then modeling the process of the general ledger in such a way that made it way easier to enter those transactions that accountants forever had had to journalize and post to the ledgers and then, you know, create uh, create uh, financial statements from. Uh, so I was sure, as sure as I could be in 1994 when I started this leader group that there would be a long, long period of time in which the world needed to learn more about how to use the technologies that existed already to make their businesses work better. So that's me in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> I guess last well, a, year. It, no, it's a great start. No, I gotta, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna vamp a little bit here on this, and just uh, so you, you, when you, when you said the phrase, I was the kid in the office. Mm -hmm. I, I, I totally relate to that. I was a little bit later, later than you, and and I went to to work for an accounting firm right after college. I did not have a degree in accounting. I'd only had taken managerial and financial accounting, and you know, de debits are by the door. I still remember that. That's that's about it, right? Yep. But I was I, I was the the, the ju most junior person in the whole firm. But I had my own office. But it really wasn't my office. It was the computer room. Mm -hmm. The room. <laughs> had, that's right. It had, it had like a separate thing, and and it had two two computers in it. Two I think it, they were IBM ATs, right? Yep. And, and and what was hysterical is there was no there was no door on the room. Mm -hmm. But no one would come in the office. Like even the managing partner would. It, it, do you remember Les Nessman on WKRP in Cincinnati? Mm -hmm. Remember he had like like that fake. You know he had a, mm -hmm. the thing where he had to knock on his door even though there was no door. Right. <laughs> this this is what it was like. The managing partner. They didn't. I don't think anyone wanted to be associated with a keyboard because if you were if you had a keyboard you were a secretary. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's true. So, because so they it, were like afraid to come in the room because they thought, oh my God, they'll be think, thought of as a secretary. This is yeah. hysterical. Actually, <laughs> a quick thing on that: the most uh, the most important class I ever took in all of my school was in eighth grade. I took typing. There you go. With all the girls, <laughs> <laughs> because that was a girl thing. But I'm uh, telling, if I had not done that, I, I don't know how many things in my life I could not have done simply because I couldn't type. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And, and you got to meet the chicks. It was a good, That's true. It was know, a good place. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good place. No, go, go, I did the same thing. I got into theater because I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. The only way to meet chicks was to be in the drama department. <laughs> 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 there you go. True story. So, yep. and oh, the other thing I wanted to mention to you that you, you talked about, and we're coming up on a break here already, but I, I think you'll find this funny because you were talking about Apple, mm -hmm. right? And uh, Apple and accounting did not go together really well. No. 
I was also the accounting evangelist, and you can see how well I failed at that. Yeah, well, <laughs> then you then you will you will remember when when Mike or Great Plains at the time came out with Dynamics yes. that ran oh, yeah. on the Macintosh. Yep. I had I had the first ever live customer that was running Great Plains wow. Dynamics in a full fully Mac environment. First one ever. Wow. So was, I should have met you then, because I was yeah. like right there. <laughs> it was well, it was it was it was on the east. I was on the east coast at the time. You were a west coast guy, but the the, the this this was a, a theater production company in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and you'll remember this, and it actually ties in with Postscript too. They were thrilled just to have an, an accounting system that ran on the Macintosh. But I kid you not, when they went to do an accounts payable check run, right? Mm-hmm. It took thirty minutes per check. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah. Thirty minutes to print a single check, and they were like, "Oh no, it's okay. It's no problem. We just run it overnight. It's not a big deal." <laughs> yeah. So you can see why I was so obsessed with this problem at that time. As I wait, at there's a lot of work to be done in this world, and I'm going to go do that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. No good stuff. And then, of course, the your your real core business and what you're most known for is the, developing the Sleater Group, which yep. highly influential uh, in the QuickBooks community uh, and and QuickIn community, but I guess QuickBooks now. Uh, but you've recently sold your interest in that, so we're going to pick up on the story that story in a little bit more after we take our break. But right now, we want to remind you that you can get a hold of both Ron and myself at Ask TSOE at verisage.com. We certainly want you to visit our webpage, and that is thesoulofenterprise.com, and we have a new feature on the webpage, those of you who have been listening in. If you want to see a listing of all our complete shows, there is now an archive tab at the top of the page, the main page, so you can see all of our shows listed in order that they were delivered, and what we found out is that we had made a mistake, so those of you who might know that this was episode uh, 96, as was last week, we did find a, do, a, a lack, uh, I skipped a number somewhere, so we apologize for that. But right now, we want you to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are Leading Results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Thought Leader. He's one of the top 25 thought leaders in the accounting profession, named by CPA Practice Advisor, and also one of Accounting Today's top 100 most influential people from 2008 through 2015. So, Doug, tell me, you started this leader group. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on that? And then I know you recently sold it. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks. Um, we started Sleater Group in two, uh, 1994. Uh, so 22 years ago, I wow. guess, and uh, it was all about that, uh, helping the small business and then the accountant learn how to apply technology to the small business accounting problem. You know, there's so many parts of it. You know, there's really how to use the computer to put your checks in, but then invoices and bills and, and paying your bills, and then it, it expanded out to other products very quickly, uh, point of sale systems, inventory control systems, and so forth. Um, we built the business around training, because that's what I was passionate about, you know, basically evangelizing to the world, hey, there's technology, here's how you use it, this is going to make you succeed. Um, And I then built a conference, well, actually before the conference, a a network of accountants all over the world who would do the consulting directly with the small business. And this network still exists today uh, and was purchased by a, a company called Diversified Communications out of Portland, Maine. Um, and they came to us a couple years ago and they said, hey, you know, uh, we'd like to talk about how we can work together and maybe even buy your business. If I had a nano coin for how many times <laughs> someone said, work with us, you'll be rich, um, <laughs> I, uh, I would be rich. You would be rich. <laughs> yeah. Well- so I was allergic to that conversation. But anyway, short story is uh, that turned into a sale of the company, our big event in Las Vegas every year where we bring a trade show and conference content to accountants and help the ecosystem of, of vendors such as Sage and Intuit and um, yeah, Zero and Microsoft and those kinds of companies come to represent their products to the accounting profession. So it was a great run, and now I'm kind of on sabbatical, and now I'm just totally obsessed on this, what's next, and I think it's the blockchain. Couldn't agree more. Great segue, talking about nanocoins, uh, <laughs> bitcoins, blockchain, or the blockchain technology. Uh, Ed and I are absolutely obsessed with it as well. So let me start with... Define it for me. Define it for our listeners. What is the blockchain? Well, uh, it's one of these things that as you define, I'm going to, it was like fair warning here. The definition is sometimes the most difficult to really say, oh, I get it. Uh, Because as we start to define what it is, it's like, so what? Um, But I'll try to give you just in a nutshell what it is. It is a global distributed database 
And this database is simply made up of a whole bunch of records or blocks of records, if you will. And these blocks are in a chain. And if you ever took any programming, you might have learned about linked lists and data structures uh, 101. You'll learn about linked lists. It's basically a linked list of blocks of transactions um, that uh, the transactions can contain Let's say if we're using digital currency like Bitcoin, which is a special purpose case, or if you if you will, it's an application on top of the blockchain. Bitcoin is digital money, and a transaction of me paying you is in a block somewhere, uh, and uh, in the blockchain. Now, the beauty of the blockchain is that. Because it's a distributed database, and pause for a second, what's a distributed database? Well, it's we've been used to hearing about databases for a long time, but uh, instead of a, a database all in one data center or maybe just on your computer, it's the same it's 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 now a distributed database, which means the same, data, the whole copy of the whole data set, is duplicated across multiple machines all over the world. And all those machines are coordinated to add transactions or blocks, if you will, at the same time to the blockchain only after a whole bunch of other computers, a whole bunch of computers across the net agree that in fact it is a valid transaction so there's security protocols and encryption technology that makes it so that a block doesn't get added to this distributed database uh, until a whole bunch of people agree that it is in fact a valid security uh, it passes security protocols uh, block and then it becomes a um, permanent record, if you will, in this distributed database. So, how's that? Do you think that's close enough for a definition? Yeah, that, <laughs> no, that, that's good. Um, it, it, this, uh, you're right. This is very difficult to define. And, and I think what's when you say distributed database, it, it's really important to grasp the fact that this is decentralized, right? Yes. It's housed at millions or even more computers, so it's not, and, and it, that, therefore, it makes it difficult to hack as well for security purposes. Hack? Or take down, or have the government shut down, or the even outlaw, or, or so. There's a lot of things about this distributed database that accrue to what I would call the most elegant um, system of providing for value transfer ever invented in the history of man. Right. You know, we, we, we have a book in common. I know, I think you, I see you recommend this book, The Blockchain Rev or Blockchain Revolution by Don Tapscott and Alex Tapscott, his son, I believe. Yes. Um, fantastic book. They call it the Trust Protocol. Mm -hmm. And The Economist magazine calls the, the blockchain the trust machine, mm -hmm. where you can actually trust the math, not the people. Exactly. I mean, it, it's like a, the back of a Bitcoin might read, in math we trust. Because yes. Because as you explained how a transaction gets validated by this decentralized or distributed ledger, uh, it's all math. It's hashtags and math protocols. And if they, if they okay it, then it's time stamped and it's never reversible. So I right. guess, Doug, what, what 
intrigues me about this is it's really a meta technology. And I've even heard some people talk about it as a process technology. This is going to improve. It's not a process improvement technology. It's actually quite inefficient. It's a great example of where inefficiency uh, is, it, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take inefficiency for more effectiveness. But I guess my question is, um, from an accounting standpoint, I think the genius of Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever he is, or, or they, <laughs> I, yeah, I think, it's a I think the, the genius is the triple entry accounting. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you, George Gilder calls the blockchain the eighth layer of the internet, mm-hmm. kind of like the World Wide Web sits on top of the internet. And yep. he thinks that this is the eighth layer, which is a trust and transactions layer. And I'm just wondering what you think, how is this going to impact bookkeepers, accountants, and auditors? Well, okay. So before I kind of get jump to that, uh, because I think that is a, a really important question, I just think about the internet itself, the World Wide Web, has been so great at providing for us a, distri- uh, a global uh, tool to distribute information. So there's the TCPIP, that seven-layer stack that you were just sort of referring to there, uh, is a, is what allows all the computers in the world to be connected. And then the World Wide Web is when someone came up with HTML, which is the language behind your browser. So when you look at a browser, you're looking at an HTML page. Now, there's a lot of languages that actually end up generating the HTML that we see. But we have to access to all this information. The problem is it's a one-way street. That is, you go and you browse and you can search and all sorts of ways you can find information to consume one way. But it's not so good at a two-way validation engine or any way of preventing inaccurate information from getting out there and propagated instantly and globally. So this is why you're talking about the eighth layer, whatever, uh, sort of doesn't matter what we call it, but what we have to recognize is with all of these internet-connected computers, everyone is a publisher and everyone is an editor and and anyone can say anything instantly that um, millions of people see. That is a problem. It's a good problem and a bad problem. And uh, so it's good because we're all powerful. And it's bad because now we don't even know where the truth is. We're losing what truth is. We can read anything. Um, And this goes to the press is completely out of control with using this this tool, the Internet, to quickly generate whatever facts or non-facts, politically biased or not, uh, they they feel uh, is, is in their interest to publish. So... When it comes to accounting, this really matters. <laughs> uh, or let's just say commerce. Let's just say the, the transfer of value across the world can be digital currency or any, any uh, title to property or intellectual property rights or even music. What we're doing is we're transferring property uh, between humans uh, across the world. And... When you do something like that, you need to have ways of guaranteeing that it is, A, owned by the person who's uh, transferring, and the payments, if you will, of that transfer are, in fact, um, 
uh, valid. In other words, the, the person paying for it actually has the money and is going to transfer that, and it all comes together. So this is why it's really important. Accounting is something that has this um, uh, time element, uh, meaning if I spend it today, I can't spend the same thing again tomorrow. That's an important thing, whereas the Internet doesn't have any, in the World Wide Web and all the tools we've been using, doesn't have any way of uh, validating or caring about the order in which transactions or data flows across that uh, uh, the line. And that's where blockchain really starts to have an impact. Right. I mean, anything dealing with assets, trust, ownership, money, identity, or contracts uh, can, can be put on the blockchain, right? It can, it can handle anything that you can digitize, medical right. records, birth certificates, passports, time-stamped and, and out there and irreversible, basically, which from, you know, if it's a public ledger, then what's that going to do to the accounting profession? And I'm going to let Ed pick back up on this, Doug, because we have to take a break. Folks, we're up sure. against it. But um, we'd like to remind you, you can contact us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Please check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. Making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on The Soul of Enterprise talking about the fascinating topic of Bitcoin and the blockchain. And, and just for clarification purposes, Doug, as I was listening to you and Ron talk, I... I, I I understand it because I've done a little bit of reading about this, but I, th- I think what was not necessarily clear is the the articles that we use to describe these. So 
Bitcoin, let me just make sure that I, I get this right and you tell me if, if, I, if I'm wrong. Yep. Bitcoin is an implementation of the blockchain. Well, the, I would say it's an application on top of the, not an implementation so much as an application on top of the blockchain. Okay, and 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 I and I and I'm actually screwed up. I wanted to say it's it is an application on top of a blockchain, and that's uh-huh. that's the there isn't just one blockchain, right? Correct. Blo- blo- blockchain is a thing that that that's the thing that Bitcoin is based on. But but you can have public blockchains, which is what Bitcoin is. Mm-hmm. But you can also have private blockchains, which are exclusive to individual organizations or companies or whatever right, right? so they, they so they could so, so there's a public and private aspect of it but blockchain that's the thing that that is it's open source any you, you can you can go download the code to start your own blockchain yep. if, if you mm-hmm. so desire right yep. okay I think, I think that's the thing that I think that we have to clarify because I think people get hung up on first the interchangeability of Bitcoin and blockchain which they're not and then right. secondly that there's only one which there isn't Correct. And it's important to say no one owns, quote unquote, the blockchain. There is no company you go to their website and say, I want to have some blockchain. It's just not that way. It's part of the open source um, uh, world where if you go to uh, GitHub, you can go and download the, the source code yourself and compile it on a machine and create a blockchain machine. They have specialized hardware that you can put together that will actually turn your machine into a blockchain um, uh, node on the big wide worldwide web. So now I've got a blockchain machine. Why would I want that? Well, um, if I did own one, then I could actually, um, for example, I could be a Bitcoin miner, which is a, a term used to actually, it's, it's a, a great term because you can actually create Bitcoins out of mathematical problems that get solved on your machine. And they take a long time to, to solve, uh, on average 10 minutes. And if you solve these these mathematical problems, uh, that the uh, code that you downloaded kind of define and, and, and uh, compute, uh, then you get in return, you get some Bitcoin, some, some current, some digital currency in your own wallet. Um, so let's go to the wallet concepts. So we'll just spend a little time on Bitcoin itself. This is the okay. concept of digital yep. money. Okay. Good. Good. Yep. So. Uh, it, 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 it consists of, I've got a wallet, you've got a wallet. How do I get a wallet? Well, you can actually go on the web and say Bitcoin wallet, and you, there's any number of downloadable, again, it's like a software program that becomes a wallet uh, that stores your digital currency. And that can be on your local PC, it could be on your phone. Um, but each time you have a wallet, you get a multiple of them, that wallet has a a number of Bitcoin in it, just like our physical wallet. How do you get Bitcoin? Well, you get it by either buying it. So you could go to an exchange. I use Coinbase.com. Go to Coinbase.com, create an account for yourself and uh, say, I want to uh, buy a Bitcoin. Uh, How do I do that? I connect my bank account, my my U.S. or Canadian or any, you know, any any um, currency that I have a bank with, I connect my bank to that exchange and I say, okay, transfer a thousand dollars and buy two bitcoins. 
Um, and the exchange does that. It's kind of like a dealer, if you will. Um, now, how did they get it? Well, they got it from the miners who created it by solving complex mathematical problems. And, it, and this problem solution becomes an encrypted, just call it a little data file, for lack of a better term. It's an encrypted data file that can only be um, uh, transferred to and from people by someone who owns it that has a public key and a private key that matches the data that's inside that. Now we get off the, the weeds with technology, which I really don't think we should do much more here. But just think of it as um, a, a complex mathematical problem that protects the security of your data and guarantees that you own it and you can transfer it at will by sending it through the blockchain to someone else. Okay. And now this this then becomes incredibly powerful because as you mentioned kind of quickly earlier this this means that there is no central authority who's in charge of valuing yes. or devaluing said currency, yes. right? And then this now of course the one of the first organizations to put bitcoin to use was was the famous Silk Road. Yeah. And you know, as as with it was with any any kind of technology, that was one of the things that gave I think Bitcoin a a, a bad rap at Black least guy. initially. You know, uh, because it was used for drug transfers and sales and all of that. Right. But one of the most interesting things that I have come across when talking to people about this is is they say, well, you know, governments don't like this because you know they, there's no traceability, yada yada yada. <laughs> Until you quickly point out that neither is there with cash. Yes, and, <laughs> right. and with Swiss bank accounts and maybe some other things. But uh, yes, correct. It's In other words, what they're doing is they're assuming that this thing that the government doesn't control is thereby uh, something that is bad and is uh, not to be trusted and could be uh, somehow co-opted by some um, bad people. Um, and this is where the elegance of this thing comes in. Because it's distributed across disinterested parties, hundreds of disinterested parties, and you could become one of them yourself, who have computers that solve this problem, this, these mathematical problems. And by, by providing the correct answer to the problem proposed uh, in a block, they get some remuneration, which is a Bitcoin or half a Bitcoin or 25 Bitcoin, it's it's going down each time or each year or two. It goes down how much they earn from their work. It's called proof of work. By by them being disinterested, though, that's the key. They don't have you could you could uh, shut down half of the nodes on the blockchain network. And it would still keep on humming because there'd be enough people there with machines that would validate transactions that would be getting uh, uh, validate or reject transactions that would be added to the blockchain. And so it's almost like we've created, oh, maybe I shouldn't say the word virus, <laughs> a good virus <laughs> that all of us are going to have and be able to use. Um, the reason I use the term virus is because it's one of those things that we think of as being really terrible because it propagates all over the world and infects computers. And, and that's a very loose analogy to the idea of it's out there and you can't kill it. 
the blockchain is out there and you can't kill it, but especially you do not want to kill it. It is the what I would say may save the world's economy is that it will reduce the impedance and the friction of doing business internationally, of trading without government interference or corruption or or manipulation of currencies. Right now, there's lots of governments uh, vying for world power by manipulating their currency. What? That's bad. It's good temporarily for them, but in the long run, it's a bad thing. And this is what the this is what the blockchain uh, will uh, promises to to take down over time. In in a way, it's almost like the ultimate the ultimate implementation of the mar- of a market system because it, it, you you were talking about it being you know, disinterested third parties or disinterested parties coming together to produce produce the wealth and that's uh, you know the great example of course is of of i pencil right the the mm-hmm. great essay by leonard reed that nobody knows how to make a pencil in fact it's probably people who if they came across each other on the street would punch each other in the face because they don't like one another's religion or what have you yet unknowingly they cooperate to create this pencil and in a sense that's what the blockchain is doing for bitcoin it's yes different disinterested parties coming together so let me ask you we're, we're we're, we're right up against a, a, a break in, in three minutes mm-hmm. or less, and I want to make sure I were to ask you this question. Why Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency and not gold? Yeah, okay, because um, – okay. D- digital is the compelling reason uh, because someday we're going to need to trade – well, today we, de- we desperately need to help the unbanked of the world, those uh, poor people in Africa or the people who just don't even have a – a chance in this world they don't have a bank account heck no that would be way too hard and the the fees of getting money to them is way too high the impedance of getting it there is just too much so but but they all have phones they all have uh, cell phones so we can already transact business with those people or give them money or bring money to their invest in their startup idea in the middle of uh, ideas in the middle of the uh, uh, um, forest or whatever uh so the economy is so untouched in so many areas of the world that this kind of ability to conduct commerce without friction is going to facilitate. And that's where uh, gold couldn't do that. And gold is physical and heavy and impossible to transport and limited in supply and and so forth. <laughs> Yep. Uh, one, one of the things that uh, was speculations that I heard, and by the way, I use a service called Zappo. We'll put this up on the uh, on our, our show notes, including the you know what the ones that Doug mentioned, Coinbase. But I use Zappo XAPO to buy my Bitcoin, and yes, I do have some. Uh, but the, the w- w- they speculated that that it is likely that Bitcoin or whatever cryptocurrency wins out in the end because it's not necessarily bitcoin sure. that's not really there's determined ether, there's yeah there's a lot of yeah, others yep there's a lot of others but uh th- that it will that it will likely it will likely take root in the developing world first and then in a sense whip around and the developed world will have to catch up which i find really interesting yeah i like that <laughs> <clears throat> 
Yep. So, well, we'll have to see. Well, you know what? We're gonna go. I'm gonna take take our last break now and then turn it over to Ron. This is one once again. Our show goes by so fast, and we I know we have lots more to talk about. I think we might have to have you on again for part two of this absolutely fascinating topic. But we want to remind folks that you can get a hold of us at thesoulofenterprise.com is where the website is. Hashtag AskTSOE on Twitter. Just a quick shout out to Wendy. I know you're listening live today, so thanks for all that you do for us. But right now, we want to listen to our break from our last sponsor and my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Doug Sleater, who's blockchain-obsessed as we are. And Doug, you have a great saying. You said it a couple times. I wanted to ask you about it. Explain big, bad data. Yeah, well, so there seems to be this horse race to build, publish, and otherwise exploit uh, big data in the world. Every large company, every government, every agency, whatever, they're looking at big data. And what are they doing? Uh, They're using it to make global decisions uh, about the economy or huge uh, shifts in uh, corporate strategies or whatever. It's all based on big data. Uh, But more than anything... In the computing technology world, this has me the most concerned. Uh, The reason is because I've done 25 or actually 30 years of small data, (laughs) and I understand small data. Small data is so flawed. Basically, every database I've ever looked at, uh, is, uh, and whether that's the accounting records of a business or their uh, records in their CRM or whatever, it's, it's got inaccurate, missing, out-of-date, miscoded, corrupt, or just simply wrong information. Um, and I would challenge the audience, look at your own data. Go to your whatever data you look at and say, how, how accurate is it? 
and maybe it's your personal records, maybe it's your accounting system, you'll probably easily spot just an alarmingly large percentage of errors, uh, in quotes, in your own data. Um, now, most of us live with this because uh, we're either too busy or lazy to fix it, or maybe we just don't care enough because we know in our minds what the real truth is. So we just say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's wrong. That customer did pay his bill. We just haven't recorded it. And, and so a- AR is overstated. Uh, there's like, a, oh, yeah, that's that could be a lot of files that I've seen have that. Um, so these errors are caused... Uh, in other ways, too, we're automating data entry everywhere. There's APIs between apps all over the place, and they're, they're shoving data between applications, what I call digital plumbing. Um, and, and we're doing everything we can in almost a race fashion to automate these systems talking to each other. It's all really good, but well, hang on a minute. When you aggregate all this small data and create big data sets, what you're really doing is you're ending up with big bad data. So then we make all these conclusions about it and say, oh, my goodness, what are we doing? Uh, so this is my concern, and I think that what we'd like to do is find uh, a better way, especially of some of the more important information that we, we all look at in, in, in large data sets. Right, right. I, I hear you. Yeah. I have one example, one more example of this. Uh, there's this NASA satellite glitch that happened just this year, and there was this big press release. And I was in Hawaii, and it was about the California uh, and San Andreas Fault was leaking immense amounts of CO2 and mon- carbon monoxide. And they were uh, – somebody published an article. I have a link. We can put it in the show notes if you want. Um uh, about how this might mean there's a imminent earthquake in California, the size of which we've never seen before, because some guy 20 years ago noticed that carbon monoxide leaks were happening just before this big earthquake on this other continent, right? Mm-hmm. So there was this big uh, stretch from that correlation, which correlation <laughs> does not Ca- uh, right. mean, uh, mean causation, right? <laughs> Wet streets uh, don't cause rain, yeah. Yeah, correct. So anyway, <laughs> that sounds interesting. But what it all came back to was it was a glitch in the satellite. The satellite actually, the image was false because the satellite was in sleep mode. The lenses were defocused. It was waking up and the image, which is just always broadcast on the internet, somebody picked it up and they noticed. But it wasn't published. It wasn't in other words, NASA, you can't even see anything on the NASA site. So now this is information on the infor- internet of big bad data is what I call it because how many uh, global weather scientists are going to take that data and then use it to aggregate to something bigger about trends in monoxide leaks? Right. So this is this is what we're doing to ourselves with all this technology. We're just not ha- there's no way to validate whether some data is actually getting added to the world. Uh, without validation, it's just, it's this is why blockchain, I think, and these kind of technologies really can help us. Totally agree. You know, you said something to add that reminded me of what the economist Hernando de Soto said about in his book, The Mystery of Capital. He said there's ten trillion dollars of dead capital in the developed world that they don't have access to because they don't have proof of ownership. They don't have developed credit markets, private markets. He estimates yep. now, by the way, it's twenty trillion today. Um, the blockchain could unleash that, and I, I think this is 
just so perfectly illustrated if you look at foreign reparations, which in the developing world is the biggest flow of funds, more than foreign aid or, or anything else. And, it, it, you know, it takes, it takes a week to get yeah. money from one country to another, and it costs like 7% or more. Doug, we can ship an anvil to China quicker. Yeah than it takes to, to transfer money. And, yeah. and I think this is the promise of not only cryptocurrency, but but also the blockchain. So I, I really appreciated your point, but it kind of goes to what you always say about agility trumps ability, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, it's kind of the, the thing. We, we all do a job. We learn some school something in school. We get good at it. We go out and practice it in a job. We heads down. We're working hard. We're getting really good. Our, our pay scale goes up. Our rate goes up. Whatever it is. And uh, as long as we do that, we are going to be disrupted unless we look up, look around, and look what technology is going to do that we could make better use of. So that's really my whole life is all about agility, Trump's ability, and hoping people will, you know, at least listen to those of us who are thinking this way and trying to lead the, the, the herds towards new, better ways of working. Well, you know, on that note, tell me what you ha- how you see the future diffusion and growth of the blockchain unfolding. I mean, where do you th- what sectors or countries do you think it's going to hit first? Yeah, well, this is something I call the big uh, the b- big uh, convergence, if you will. You've got internet access ubiquitous everywhere, mobile devices everywhere, sharing economy has really taken off. The Internet of Things now, uh, Gartner says 6.4 billion connected things will be in use in 2016, and that's a 30% increase from uh, last year. So the Internet of Things is these all these dig- devices, whether they're digital or physical, or whatever have IP addresses. So what we're going to need and and where I think blockchain is going to be put best to use is on um, controlling access to, rental of, transfer of internet uh, connected things. That would be my prediction. There's probably a lot of others, but I mean, if I was to choose one, I'm, I'm really thinking that goes hand in hand. Right. No, I think you're right. I think that's a good point. And I also think healthcare is ripe yep. for digitized crypto type you know, medical records, and then it mm-hmm. makes them easier to share with hospitals, different doctors, yeah. whatever. Because yeah. you've got a security issue there that's that's huge, right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, somebody said that, uh, you know, in the future, people won't talk about blockchains anymore. They they um, any more than they talk about the lower level architecture of the internet right. like we were talking before yeah. and it I, I think that's so true i mean i think this is just going to become embedded and you know this is how civil civilization advances right by extending yeah. the number of things we can perform without thinking about them right i mean i, I don't Absolutely. have to have a physics degree to fly yeah and I think the key is it just takes the middleman out of so much of commerce, and that is a huge advance forward. We won't eliminate credit cards and banks and governments, but potentially we don't need them. If we were to start over, we might not uh, introduce them or design them anymore. We might just have this blockchain for people interacting and trading value. Do you worry about the government stifling blockchain technology in its crib? No. I do not at all. People do, but I don't because they can't stop this. And and they don't the the inspired governments won't try. They will realize this is really good and they should start to embrace it and use it to make their own processes more uh, efficient. Well, some governments are more 
I know. inspired than others. I mean, Canada, yeah, yeah yep. Canada seems to be pr- pretty pretty far advanced. I, I'm not sure though. I, I I I worry about it just a little bit because you yep. know government has got the you know the dead foot of government rather than the invisible hand of the market. Yeah. But well, Doug, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much. We will have to have you back on to talk more about this. We're certainly going to do more shows about it in the future but thank you so much for uh, joining us today on the soul of enterprise ed what do we have up next week next week we're going to continue our conversation run about verisage laws i think we started about a year ago and i think we only got through two or three of the laws that we talk about at verisage so we're going to talk about some more of them next week oh fantastic i'll see you in 167 hours This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. 